In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. On this day of Saturday in which we offer, we, we honor Our Lady, let us pray together. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Brothers, I invite you to listen to this reading from the first book of Kings, chapter 18, verses 20 to 40. So Ahab sent to all the sons of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go on limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I even only, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood. But put no fire to it, and I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers, answers by fire, he is God. And all the people around answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many. And call on the name of your God, but put no fire to it. They took the bowl which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped about the altar which they had made, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is gone aside, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their customs, custom with swords and lances, until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one heeded. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came to him, and he, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, and as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the, pieces, cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, 
O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known that this day that you are, the, you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them there. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and killed them there. The word of the Lord. So, brothers, a nice, cheerful way to begin our day. If any of you have ever had an opportunity to visit the Holy Land and to go to Mount Carmel, uh, you can see the, the little valley down below where they took these prophets and they, they slew, slew them there. And so it's kind of a powerful spot to be and to know that this was the place in which the Lord was revealed to the people and essentially got them off the fence. And uh, these false prophets were, uh, false priests were, were slain. So remember our theme for today or this weekend is always going to be um, be imitators of me as I am of Christ, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 1. Uh, following that, uh, St. Paul also has some beautiful words uh, for the people saying thank you uh, for remembering me and thank you for also passing along the traditions which I have passed along to you. And uh, St. Paul always will refer to himself as their spiritual father. And uh, we see that in, in a number of places, but especially with the community at Corinth. Remember, Corinth was a, a port city, so Corinth had all sorts of different people coming in and out, different people, uh, different uh, ethnicities, uh, different people of different faith, people of faith, people of no faith, all sorts of different people going in and out. And so you can see that there was a great temptation on the part of the community of Corinth to be influenced by all these, these different religions, ethnicities, cultures, all these different people. And so that's why Paul is always calling them back, always calling them back to be faithful to the Lord, similar to what Elijah uh, would do for the people, telling them, this day you must choose. Do you choose to serve this false god, these false priests, or do you align yourself with the one true God, the God of Israel? Paul also goes on to say, and I think this is important for us as Catholic men, he says that Christ is the head of every man. Christ is the head of every man. And I think if we keep that before us this weekend, we're setting ourselves on the right path. So I said, nice, great way to wake up this morning went out and killed them, and then we all say thanks be to God to that. So now while there, this may be one of the more brutal passages of the Old Testament, I've always seen uh, a great deal of what happened at Mount Carmel as an important uh, for the lives of Catholics. Of course, we have Elijah and Ezeel, the mountain is a place of an encounter with God, 
and much, much more there. And for our time together, what I'd like to do is I'd like to um, take a look at this one aspect and the virtue which I'd like to focus on, as I said last night, is that virtue of religion. And I'm going to get to the reason for that in a moment. But first, let me give you some background in terms of it, my, in my thought, in terms of doing this. So, the word religion is something that is thrown around a lot today. Especially, it's something that's thrown around in the media, in politics, in our society. And if we really look at the word, we can see that the word isn't well used. In fact, it's often abused by claiming religion as a justification for all sorts of moral depravity, even to the point of saying that Satanism is some sort of religion. And we know that this is patently false. So with this in mind, let's take a, take a moment to recall exactly what the virtue of religion really is. So as always, definitions are a very good place for us to start. And from there, we will, we will move on to the catechism. So first, we look at the great mind. We look at the Summa Theologica. We look at St. Thomas Aquinas. And we can see a variety of definitions through time. And we can see that each of them is helpful in its own way. With Cicero, with St. Isidore, he shows that the word religion can be drawn from re legere. So re legere. And that means to read again and again and again. Legere would be to read, and then re, to read again and again and again. So that religion would seem to take its name from reading over those things which belong, belong to divine worship, because we ought to frequently ponder over such things in our hearts. And according to Proverbs 3.6, we hear that um, in all thy ways think on him. So we move to St. Augustine, my favorite. I love St. Augustine. He's such a real man. Um, if you've never had a chance to read the Confessions, I highly recommend it. It's one of the most beautiful books ever written, where Augustine really just pours out his soul. This brilliant mind just pours out his soul. So with Augustine, he shows that the word religion can come from re elegere. So re elegere. And that means to choose again and again and again. From the fact that we ought to seek God again, whom we had lost by our neglect. So here, re elegere is contrasted to another word, negligere, which means not to choose, or even to despise, or even to neglect. And again with St. Augustine, he shows how religion can come from re legere, which means to bind together. For by religion we are bound to God and we are also bound to his truth. I'm not going to get into too much Latin throughout this whole weekend, so don't worry, don't worry. But I think these words are important for us in order to lay a good foundation. So whichever definition we go with, however, he points out that in every case religion, quote, denotes properly a relation to God. For it is he to whom we ought to be bound as our unfailing principle, to whom also our choice should be resolutely directed as to our last end, and whom we, whom we, lo we lose when we neglect him by sin, and should recover by believing in him 
and confessing our faith, end quote. So as for the Catechism, and also another beautiful, beautifully written book, and a great treasure of the truths of our faith. So as for the Catechism, religion comes up when talking about the three theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. It says that charity leads us to render to God what we as creatures owe him in all justice. The virtue of religion disposes us to have this attitude that comes from 2095 in the Catechism. So in the words of our Lord, religion makes us render to God what is God's, coming from Matthew 22:21. Particularly, do honor with no hesitation, based simply on the fact that he is who he is. And since he infinitely surpasses all things and exceeds them in every way, since he is God, we follow him, simply, period. Since he is God, we follow him. Again, the question that's put before the Israelites of Elijah, who do you choose to serve this day? And they choose to serve God. So the catechism goes on in this uh, the next paragraphs, so 2096 to 2097, to say that adoration is the first act of the virtue of religion. So to adore God is to acknowledge God for who he is, as our creator, as our savior, the Lord and the master of everything that exists. So adore God is to acknowledge and respect in absolute submission the nothingness of the creature who would not exist but for God. The creature would not exist but for the creator. So this naturally brings to mind what God the Father told Saint Catherine. I am he who is, you are she who is not. We can think of that by ourselves, changing those, right? I am he who is, um, I am he who is not. So this is, uh, this is all why I see Elijah's mountaintop slaughter as a great example of religion, because he's calling Israel uh, to task. And he's saying to them to stop straddling the issue. If the Lord is God, then simply follow him. In other words, acknowledge your Lord and your God, adore him as he should be adored, and in justice and religion, do all that follows from the simple fact that he is Lord. So I've used that word a couple times. I've used that word justice, and I want to talk about justice or explain justice. And Pope Benedict said one of the best ways for us to understand justice is if we compare it to the word mercy. He said one of the best ways to understand mercy as we compare it to justice. He said, justice is this. Justice is giving to something, giving to someone something that is, is rightfully his. Giving something to someone that is rightfully his. So, for example, we think about uh, something such as a just wage. So perhaps you hire me for a job. Perhaps before we do the job, you agree with me what sort of pay I'm going to receive. I do the job, I do it well you give me my, my just wage. This is something that is rightfully mine, due to me. It's a positive example. Or perhaps a negative example. Perhaps I'm a criminal and perhaps I commit a crime. I go before the judge, he finds me guilty, and what does he give me? He gives me a just sentence. It is something rightfully due to me because of the crime that I have committed. 
So justice is giving something to someone that is rightfully his. He says mercy goes beyond that, though. He said for mercy is giving something to someone that is rightfully, for my example, that is rightfully mine. So if I am going to act mercifully to somebody, I would give something to him that is rightfully mine. Now the greatest act of mercy, we all know, is the crucified Lord. Because as we say, Jesus Christ freely mounts the wood of the cross on Good Friday. And he freely pours out his life for the life of the world. He gives of his life for us so that you and I might know forgiveness of sins and we might know the gift of eternal life. So, as I've used that word justice in, relation to, in, in relationship to religion, it is giving something to God that is due to him. And what is it? It's our praise, it's our worship, it's our adoration, that first word that was due, our adoration. So, when we talk about justice in relationship to religion, we give something to God that is rightfully his. And doing so, we acknowledge him for who he is. He is our God, right? He is our Father. We are his people. All right. So, this all is obli uh, obvious implications in the life of the Catholic man. Put simply, we have to continue the fierce battle to overcome the false gods in our lives and instead live out the first and the greatest of all the commandments, to live out the great Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. We have to fulfill what Christ told Satan himself in the desert. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Matthew uh, chapter 4, verse 10. So God must come first, and by virtue of who he is, and out of love, out of justice, and out of religion. That's why God must come first. And this is true for all, of course, but especially I think it's true for Catholic men. Because for Catholic men, as well as everybody, but for Catholic men, because that's who we are today, we have to make sure that the Lord is our portion. The Lord is our, per, our portion. This means that what we do is we worship him as we ought then as he desires. And the story of Elijah shows what wondrous things can happen when we do, as well as what terrible things can happen when we don't. This means we pray regularly and often, both liturgically, so speaking of the Mass, which we have the privilege uh, to enter into the celebration of the sacrifice of the Mass this morning, each Sunday, Holy Days of Obligation. It means that we also uh, pray regularly and often communally, and one of the great ways that we can do that as men, one example would be something such as the Curcio movement. And in the Curcio movement, you really into a weekend of communal prayer and communal witnesses from your brothers. And following that, as we look to that fourth day, following that, you have opportunities to group and not only to share with one another in an honest way and grow in our accountability, but also to pray with one another so it means that we pray regularly and often, communally as well. And then also, I think this is a given, that we do so personally. So we foster uh, the habit, right, the virtue. We foster the habit of daily prayer. And it also means that we trust in him because, remember, he, he is who he is. Even if we don't always uphold our end of the bargain. 
Remember what St. Paul said to St. Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So in addition to the necessary adoration of God that all Christians are called to, there is an added element that is important for our present context. And that means uh, that we are uh, Catholic men and we are meditating upon what it means to be a religious Catholic man, or in other words, a Catholic man who, pr who practices the virtue of religion. It is this, recall how St. Paul tells us, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, Ephesians 3, verse 15. So knowing our Trinitarian theology, we can say that St. Paul here is getting at the fact that the fatherhood of the Father is not just some aspect of the Father, but rather exactly who he is. It would make sense then that in order to dive further into the treasures of our being beloved sons of the Father, we must always dive further into the depths of the central mystery of our faith. And the central mystery of our faith is the most holy trinity, one God, three persons. And this is why I see religion as a very important aspect for every baptized person, but especially for fathers who through one's life patterns the eternal generative goodness of the Father. It means choosing nothing above the love of God. It means that we are faithful to religion. For without religion, we do not readily give due honor and praise to our God. We are not in relationship to him, and so we end up losing the vital connection with him and with his fatherhood, and thus with our own source of life. With religion, however, what happens is we are connected to the Father of all, and we continue to grow into the Catholic men to which we are called. And the Catholic men to which we are called, it's a lifelong, lifelong growth. This is a side note, remember, we will not completely be made holy or whole, ultimately what holiness means. We will not be completely made whole until we come into the kingdom. When I attended the seminary here at uh, St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, one of the, if anybody's ever been in the chapel, the chapel is beautiful, it's outstanding. And it's modeled after the Old Testament uh, tent of encounter, you enter into the Holy of Holies, right? Up in the sanctuary. And there's this beautiful, beautiful wall, uh, mosaic wall. And uh, the artist, when he was doing it, they have all these little diamonds and just beautiful patterns. And what he did was, he took one of the patterns and he left it incomplete. And what he wanted to remind the seminarians every day when they entered into the chapel, and this it worked with me, is when you looked up there, he said, it was that perfection can only be found in God. So we can really only become holy when we seek he who is holy, and we only become whole when we come into the kingdom. So it's a lifelong growth for us. So religion, therefore, is essential to us in more ways than one as Catholic men, and this is always to be kept into mind as we continue. As I mentioned, I was going to sprinkle in some of the saints throughout the weekend, and here being in a Carmelite house, I want to make the sisters happy. So I'd like to this evening, or this morning, to talk about uh, the father of uh, St. Therese of Lisieux, that being St. Louis Martin. So St. Louis Martin was born in 1823, obviously born in France. Uh, 
and uh, were born during a very difficult time in the life of the church. And he died at the age of 70 in 1894. He had a lot of crosses to carry in his life. And I think this is one of the, the beautiful things about him. In his crosses, he never wavered in his faith. It didn't mean that he wasn't tested, didn't mean that he wasn't tempted, but he really never wavered in his faith. And that's why we talk about him today. That's why he's a saint. So he was um, the third of five children. And so from his own siblings, all of his siblings died before he reached the age of 30. Imagine how difficult that might be. Perhaps I, I, have, I come from six and none of my siblings have died. We're all, praise God, we're all in good health. But perhaps you've experienced this and I can only imagine how difficult that might be. And with St. Louis Martin, he, was, uh, he lost all of them before he went to age of 30. He wanted to follow God's will as best as to his ability. And he himself thought that following God's will was to become an Augustinian monk. But as uh, many people, many saints have always struggled, Blessed Stanley Rother, our, our new American Blessed, or St. John Vianney, uh, he was rejected because of his inability to grasp Latin. So understanding that this what is in his call, he looked for his profession. His profession was to become a watchmaker. And ultimately he met his wife, also another saint, St. Zelie. And, um, one of the things we know about them is they didn't consummate their marriage for 10 months because they both had this desire to, to live as celibates. But thankfully, a spiritual director said, no, that's not a good idea, not a good idea. So 10 months after their marriage, they were able to consummate their marriage and they had nine children. And again, this is where we, they experienced a lot of suffering because of those nine children, only five were uh, survived. Also, another blow that was dealt to him was his wife died. Anyone's read the story of the soul, you see that, how that was a great struggle on, the, on behalf of the family. But his wife died and it left him as a widower at the age of 54. So he had all these things that were dealt to him, all these difficulties that were placed before him. And as I said, whether it's a trial or temptation, trial comes from God, temptation is because of our fallen nature, temptation comes from the evil one. He never wavered in his faith. And so I think this is the beauty of St. Louis, and I think this is as men, this is what we can take away. He showed an incredible amount of love. He just doted over his children, especially over St. Therese. If you read the story of a soul, I always tell men to be patient with the first two chapters because if the first two chapters you're like, oh, what a spoiled little child she was. But that's her way of understanding eventually the mercy of God, the love of the Father. But he just doted over his, his, his daughters. And with St. Therese, that helped her to understand God's mercy. And that's a great gift to the church and that's one of the reasons why she's held up as a doctor of the church. And in the love that he showed to his daughters, he gave them to remission, the permission, and he helped them understanding that the, understand the most important thing of their lives was to follow the will of the Lord, right? Not what my will be done, but your will be done. Five of the daughters all entered into the convent. Now he could have been selfish. He could have said, oh, only four, only four of you can go and one must stay behind. 
take care of me, especially in my old age. But he knew that God had to come first in his own life and the life of his daughters. And so he gave them that freedom uh, to follow God's call, even if it meant for him to live a life of solitude. So those two things, gentlemen, I think this is something we can take away from this great man to see how he practiced the virtue of religion. Doting over the daughters which God had given to them, lavishing them with love, so they in turn would come to understand the love of the Father in heaven and understanding that the love that he showed to them paled in comparisons to the perfect, perfect love of the Father. But also, in doing so, loving his daughters, giving them the necessary tools, giving them to freedom to do the most important thing that they could do in their life. And that was, the will, that was to learn to know and to follow the, the will of God, even if it meant for him uh, living a life of solitude. And so, in that last part, what we see is sacrifice. To be a man of God, to grow in holiness, to want to become a saint, means that we offer sacrifice. Big sacrifices, as well as little sacrifices. We live in a world right now where that's something that's kind of poo-pooed, that's something kind of put beside, or it's, it's viewed as something a bit of childish. But it's not that at all. Uh, to practice sacrifices, to offer things up, is something that is good for us. It can benefit those around us, but it benefits us and it allows us to grow closer and closer to our loving Father. So, we're just at the time to conclude this morning's session. So let's conclude with the prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Louis Martin, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.